All right, and welcome into another edition here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Here now in the middle of June, um, playoffs are in full swing, kind of getting to the home stretch here with the NBA and the NHL. Um, the Twins continue to be a mess. Um, plenty to talk about here. The Vikings are wrapping up minicamp. Plenty to talk about here, so that's why I had to bring in Ian Rivers, bring him back to the podcast. How's it going, Ian? Pretty good. Hopefully, uh, hopefully today goes well and we can get some some good Minnesota sports talk in. Exactly. So, uh, uh, just to kind of uh, to fill you guys in, uh, kind of uh, inside joke here, inside story uh we tried to record this podcast a couple days ago and audio issues and internet issues were just terrible so better luck today uh we're hoping so uh we're gonna dive right in now the reason we got together to do this podcast was to do a minnesota wild season in review and just kind of go over the season that it's been for the wild um what they did well um kind of what they need to do going forward what does the outlook look like for them so i guess ian just first of all just kind of give your thoughts on the wild season well, they vastly outperformed expectations, and I think it it was probably one of the more memorable seasons in a lot of Wild fans' memories, uh, at least in recent memories. You know, there's some days back right after the Wild became a team, they had a pretty good pretty good roster, but in in recent memory, this is probably one of the most fun, one of the most exciting teams to watch for Wild fans. Um, they got the three seed in the West Division. Um, didn't end up pulling it out, went to seven games in a hard-fought series against Vegas. And I remember saying before the series with Vegas, that's all I want. I don't want a series where we go in like we went in against Winnipeg, you know, three years ago, whatever it was, and we get swept and we look like we're hopeless and we have no future in front of us. This is a team that's going to go somewhere. And they're led by guys like Kirill Kaprizov. Obviously, if you live in Minnesota, you probably know his name, uh, Joel Erickson Eck and Kevin Fiala running the show. Uh, it was a very competitive series. They lost to a very good Vegas team. Obviously, Vegas goes into the next round and beats Colorado, who everybody had as their Stanley Cup favorites. Um, but it, it was a great season. There's a lot to build on, and it'll be very interesting to follow this summer, see what's, what moves they make, who they protect in this upcoming you know expansion draft. Um, but I, I'm really excited about the future of this team. Yeah. And I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head, just talking about just the excitement for this team. I would say in terms of an off season, now, depending on what they do in the off season, but at least going into the off season, it's about as exciting probably as July 4th, 2012, just the trajectory of your franchise. And of course that day was when uh, the wild signed Parisi and Suter, which now we're in the, the years of the contract. We're really regretting those signings. But, uh, you know, at the time, it was a big deal. It was like, okay, Minnesota Wild are here. They're going to compete. They have a good core, and they're going to try and win. And that's essentially where they're at again. They kind of went through a couple of years where they kind of had to retool. They didn't go through a full rebuild. But it's funny how when you get you finally get Kaprizov, you all of a sudden turn into a contender, which is what the Wild were kind of waiting on. Um, which is essentially about as good as tanking. Cause the reason for tanking was to get, you know, a, a top tier prospect that can propel your franchise into the next, you know, into their next championship window. And that's essentially what Kaprizov did um, for the wild. So now they, they have, a, you know, I basically, I think everybody came into that same expectation, which if you play Vegas hard, we'll all give you guys a good pat on the back heading on to the season, taking it to seven games. They could have easily quit after being down three, one. So for them to take it to game seven, I think, like you said, in the series against Winnipeg, they quit. Um, there's other playoff series, too, where they quit. You look at uh, the St. Louis series um, when they were really good in 2016-17. Uh, they just they got down early in the series, and they just quit. And whether that was, um, you know, whether you put that on coaching, um, whether you put that on just the Parisi suitor core leadership, um, whatever you want to put it on, um, this team is different, and Kaprizov makes them different. Um, and just the energy they bring, um, I think is really good. So they have a lot to kind of do. And I guess, Ian, what's the thing that they need to do in the off season? I know they have to re-sign Kaprizov. They have to re-sign a couple other guys. Um, just what do they have to do besides kind of those key re-signings? What do they need to improve on in the off season? Uh, the biggest thing is finding a centerman that can win face-offs consistently. Every team has to have a guy that when there's 40 seconds left in a one goal game and you need to win this offensive zone face off, you got to throw this guy out there. Um, we watched the Beavers and, and uh, they upset Wisconsin this year in the, in the uh, NCAA tournament. And Tom Sertori said after the game, he was asked that exact question, who's your guy 
when it comes to winning a faceoff. You have to win a faceoff. And he knew immediately what his answer was. I'm not sure the Wild have that answer right now, and they need to find that guy because that puts a lot of pressure on a goalie, Cam Talbot, who played probably one of the best seven-game series I've ever seen um, in this series against Vegas. And it puts a lot of pressure on him when you can't win defensive draws. And so Vegas has got two whole minutes that they're set up in your zone and then an offensive zone. It kills your pedal. It kills your power play because you lose that opening face off and they can keep chipping it down the ice. And if you can't successfully enter the zone and it, that's part of the reason our face off or our, our power play numbers were so low as well. That's, that's gotta be the main thing. And like you said, there's going to be movement with this expansion draft. We're going to lose a couple of players. Obviously, the team's not going to look 100% like it did last season. So after all that sort of happens, then I think we'll know more. Um, but for, for right now, that's the one thing we know for sure we have to improve on is finding a centerman that can win faceoffs. Yeah, I think that's that's the route you have to go. I think that's been, like you said, it affects more than just the face-offs. It affects the penalty. It affects the power play. It affects all of those things in the game. Um, and just quickly, it's uh, Kaprizov, Fiala, Greenway, and Erickson Eck are all restricted free agents. So, uh, you know, Dean Evason, Bill Green, they got a lot of work to do um, in making sure that these guys stay. Now, they're restricted free agents, so it's basically a formality that they're going to re-sign. But it's just what that's going to look like, and that'll kind of impact – um, how you're going to go about free agency, depending on how much money you have to spend. Um, and the expansion draft is a huge thing. And the wild got uh, pocketed with Vegas. They lost um, Eric Halla and um, Alex, Tuck. Alex Tuck, who really was a force against the wild in the first round of that series. So obviously uh, the expansion draft has been changed a little bit. So Seattle isn't going to get as big of an advantage, but they're still going to be able to take some players off the roster. So Ian, I guess I know that some players can get protected, but who are some guys that the wild could risk losing? We know that obviously we're not going to lose Kaprizov. Um, we're not going to lose some of these other big guys, but who are some guys that might get pocketed? That would be like, if we lose them, that could be a, a huge thing. Cause if they take somebody off kind of some of the backup lines. Um, so you're saying who could we afford to lose? Who can't, who like if the wild lose in the expansion draft would be like, that's going to be kind of an underrated loss. Um, well, the guys, the guys up top are, are obvious. The ones that we need to resign, um, Fiala, Erickson, Kaprizov. I'm not so sold on Greenway. He's still improving. He's improved. I, I think in every year and this year, I think he did play really well but he's not at the same level as those other three. So he's one of the guys that you could say, well, you know, if it means we get to protect everybody else, we might have to sacrifice a guy like Greenway because he's still young. He's definitely a guy that Seattle is going to be eyeballing if we don't protect him. Um, and some of these guys defensively, uh, I think underrated is Carson Soucy. I think he really played well in this playoff series. Um, defensively, we had quite a few injuries. Um, and I do think that defensively we need to improve a little bit. Uh, kind of a lot of goals we gave up towards the tail end of the season were just sloppy defensive plays, I think especially by Dumba. And honestly, I like Brodeen, but he had a couple as well. Um, Spurgeon, he's kind of inconsistent at times, but I think he's one of the more solid uh, solid defenders we have. Obviously, he's been given the captaincy. Um so he's kind of a fan favorite around here. I would protect Spurgeon. Uh, I think that's a no-brainer. But protecting a guy like Susie, and then uh, we saw Kalen Addison make an appearance for the last couple of games, and I, I do think that he's kind of one of the guys to to build forward with in the future. Uh, so losing a guy like uh, maybe Brodeen or, or Dumba maybe wouldn't be the end of the world. Obviously, you know, you don't want to see your players leave. When, when we lost Tuck and, and uh, Hala, it's like, oh, man, you know, Hala, for me, I grew up watching the Gophers. I grew up watching Eric Hala. I didn't want to watch him leave. Alex Tuck had looked good, and he turned into an absolute wild killer in Vegas. Um, but I think some of those guys, you know, if, if you're going to lose them, it's not going to be as hurtful as other guys. Yeah, and – like you said, it's not going to be as bad of an expansion draft uh, compared to Vegas, where they basically were just gifted a championship window as soon as they started, which if you're an expansion team like the wild, if you're heck, even in other sports, you look at all expansion teams are essentially destined to just be messes for the first like three to five years of their existence. And then they kind of use that to kind of build their new core and kind of start their, their thing. But um, you know, look, uh, looking at the wild and 
I guess, just kind of what they have to do. They have to make it this, you know, we talk about the young core and all the things that they have to do to keep them going, but they also have to figure out what they're going to do with some of these veterans. They have to figure out what they're going to do. I mean, the elephant in the room, what are they going to do with Zach Parisi? I mean, he was a healthy scratch at the end of, you know, at the end of the season for a lot of games and through the first half of the playoff series. But when you put Parisi back in the lineup in that series, he obviously, he was making key plays. He got a goal. He uh, had a great pass um, to set up another goal um, in game two or three. I can't remember which one, but like he was actively being a good player on the ice. And so I don't know what you, I mean, conventional wisdom says the relationship's probably broken. You need to move on. Um, but he still has a full no trade clause. So that limits your ability to get rid of him, your ability to get a return for him. Just if you're the wild, do you get rid of Zach Parisi or do you try and fix this relationship and kind of finish out the contract? Well, this struggle is there's plenty of good young players on this roster, and we've got two guys especially next year coming in, a guy that we hoped would have played this year for us in Marco Rossi, who suffered an injury preseason and could not play, and then another guy, Matt Boldy, who are going to be trying to fight for roster minutes next year. Uh, we're probably going to lose some people uh, on the forward lines, but you're still going to bring in. We have two first-round draft picks this year. Maybe we don't keep those two. Maybe we use them. Um, to protect some certain players in the draft, so on, so forth. Um, but we've got a lot of forwards. I do think Parisi still can be somebody that you value, but I don't know how valuable he's going to be, you know, because he's only going to get older. If he waves his no trade clause, see, here's the thing. If we want him to waive his no trade clause, because then we, we don't have to protect him in the expansion draft because let's be honest, a team like Seattle is probably not going to want an aging Zach Parisi anyways, unless they want that one veteran guy that can kind of maybe guide some of the younger players that they get through the expansion seasons. But ultimately I don't think they're going to maybe take Zach Parisi anyways. Um, that contract's just, I feel like they wouldn't take it just for the contract alone. Exactly. That's another big thing. Um, but I, I do think he still holds value on this team. You saw it in the playoffs. He's a veteran guy. He's one of the only guys that's been there consistently um, for the wild, especially with some of the new faces we had brought in. Um, and he knew how to lead that team in the playoffs, but during the regular season, I don't think it's, it's quite as necessary to have a guy that does his role when we already have a couple of guys that sit out in front of the net and do the same things that are younger, that maybe we need to give some more minutes to. If we lose him and if we can get rid of his contract, I'm not going to be upset, but if we can somehow figure out how to get him back and maybe do something with him, you know, then I'll, I'll be fine with that too. Cause I do think there's still value in a guy like Zach Breezy. Yeah, exactly. There's the veteran value and there's, you know, something to be said about having him on the ice and we saw it in the playoff series, but then you also see, you know, how fast, and I know Kaprizov is, you know, an outlier. He's a very big exception to the rule, but how fast Kaprizov was on the ice, the things he's able to skate. I mean, Parisi is just nowhere near that. And that was kind of some of the thing with the old guard of the wild is they were just so slow on the ice. Like they just can't make plays. And Parisi, like you said, is getting older. So it's, what do you do? The contract, obviously with the no trade clause and everything, um, you know, it's just a burden to get around. You're going to have to find a team at the right price to get rid of him. Um, and you might have to still end up paying for a lot of the contract. Um, there's really, I mean, that's the, that's the thing with signing, you know, these super long extensions, anything past like six years is a big gamble for a team because yeah, you get that player locked in and, you know, Parisi obviously from Minnesota, like the big connection, it was a big deal getting him. Um, but the, everybody, the kind of bargain with it is when you sign a big contract is that, you know, the first half of the contract, you're expecting expecting it to be great. And the second half, you just kind of kick that can down the road and hope that somebody else will kind of deal with it. And the problem is we're having to deal with it now. So, you know, what they do, I, I bet you he just stays on the roster or, I mean, I feel like he stays on the roster. I just feel like it's so hard to find a team that will take him. Now, maybe one does. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It's just, I feel like at the end of the day, Parisi is going to be back in Minnesota, but it's still going to be a tenuous relationship because he won't be getting a lot of minutes. And, you know, he was a guy who was a healthy scratch at the end of the season. I'm sure that didn't sit well with him. He was a guy who didn't get the captain spot. Uh, Spurgeon was given the captain spot over him. He wanted that. That's, you know, it's just things like that where maybe he's just wants to get out so bad. He'll wave the claws. But other than that, 
I just feel like he's going to stay. Yeah, if I had to, if I had to bet my money on it, I would, I would say that he's probably going to be on the 2021-2022 roster come next season. Um, but, you know, we'll see where this offseason takes us. It's not really in full effect yet. We've still got the uh, conference – well, not conference finals. The playoff semifinals this year is what it's called. And then we'll see what happens after the season ends. I'm sure the stories will start picking up once the finals have wrapped up. Yeah, and uh, all right, let's uh, wrap up the hockey part with uh, talking about the, the way that the playoffs are going here. And uh, I guess who's your pick right now with the final four teams still in? Well, if you go chalk and you base it off of how the teams performed in the regular season, I think Vegas is the clear-cut choice. Um, but I'm going to put my money on the Montreal Canadiens. They have a heart right now that's beating hard. Uh, they're the four seed, and the Islanders are also a four seed. I think that's the crazy part about this NHL playoffs is the seeds that advanced were the four, the four, the three, and Vegas was the two, even though they were only one point behind the President's Trophy holding uh, Colorado Avalanche. So it's just been kind of the story of the underdogs and – uh, Tampa Bay kind of did a little slimy uh, keeping Kucherov on the injured reserve so they didn't have to pay his contract. And now, oh, he's suddenly healthy for the playoffs. Wow, that's super weird how that works out because uh, in the playoffs, well, it's a great, it's a great uh, turn of events yeah. for them. I'm sure they never saw that coming. Oh, wow. This is convenient how this worked out for us. Um, but we'll see. These series are both tied at 1-1 and it's going back to uh, – it or not back to – it's going to the uh, – four seeds it's going to new york it's going to montreal so we'll see how it ends up turning out um montreal played very well last night they held on it was kind of a chaotic end to that game carry price is going to face a lot of shots in a lot of these games but he's a dang good goaltender and i think that gives him a shot i do think tampa is going to end up pulling it out against the islanders i do like the islanders a lot they've played really well in the uh the series against the penguins and against boston so we'll see how that goes. It's going to be really close. I don't think either of these games is going to be over in five or the series is going to be over in five. I think it's going to be six or seven games for both of them. Yeah. The conventional Midwestern hockey person in me, it's not a big one, but the person in me wants it to be a Montreal, New York series, just to, to prevent it from being a Vegas Tampa series, two places that are very well known for, uh, you know, uh, just a bunch of kids playing hockey. Uh, on ponds around the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, I feel like Vegas Tampa would probably be my pick just cause Tampa, they're still coming off that championship high. Um, they're trying, you know, we were talking before about bubble championships. Well, they're out to kind of prove that theirs wasn't as much of an asterisk as maybe other championships that were kind of in the bubbles. Um, and, you know, Vegas, they, the way that they handled Colorado, I think speaks really well to how they're going to do. Um, but because I, I don't know the way that they closed out that series was kind of like uh, everybody was giving games into the series. I thought it was over. I'm like, Colorado's got this wrapped up. And then the Knights made a huge comeback in game three and they never looked back. They just kept winning overtime win. Oh shoot. It's tied up. Wow. That's three, two lead. And then they won the series. I was really shocked at the collapse that Colorado had, but I do think that you got to give credit where credit's due. Vegas also performed very well. Exactly. And, and uh, closing out the series too, I think uh, was something that against Minnesota, everybody was like, you know, Vegas has had trouble closing out teams. And then for them to come in and beat Colorado four straight games, um, they never lost three straight games all year, I think was the stat or something like that. Uh, So yeah, you got to give props to the Knights on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think that that Minnesota win was a very big confidence boost because the last like three years or two years in a row, they had lost a 3-1 series lead and they just couldn't close out a series. Um, But that win for them at home against Minnesota, I think that was huge. And also, I think being in game six in your closeout game, being at home, not in Colorado, that helped them a lot. They have a very solid fan base there in Vegas, but we'll see how it goes. These series are both tied up at 1-1 and... I, I do think they're going to be a very tough series. I don't think you're going to see many multi-goal games like you saw game one for Vegas. All right. Money on the line. Uh, gut feeling. Um, who is your, who's going to be holding up the Stanley cup this year? I have a weird feeling. It's going to be Vegas. I want to say Montreal for the fan in me, but I'm going to say Tampa Bay. I, I've watched them dominate both series so far. They, they beat a very good Florida team. They beat a very good Carolina team. 
Um, I think they'll handle the Islanders. I don't think it'll be as easy as they thought. And then I think they're going to be whoever comes out of the other side of the bracket. Yeah. And uh, all right. I think that does it for our hockey part. Any other uh, hockey ish stuff you want to get out there? I don't think so. All right. Uh, and before we uh, move on to the other sports, um, you also promised some soccer takes for the big soccer fan base in this podcast. Yeah. We, you uh, asked me a couple days ago or, I think it was about a week ago at this point about uh, U.S. soccer because they had a huge game against Mexico that everybody was talking about. And honestly, I you asked if we should be excited about U.S. soccer. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely right now. Um, you know, four or five years ago, uh, we were playing in – or not four or five years ago. It would be like seven years ago. We, we were in the World Cup in uh, Brazil. We had a decent showing. And I think everybody started to get kind of complacent, the older – the older generation kind of got complacent. They missed qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. And then new old management came in and said, you know what, we're wiping this clean. And we've got a lot of young players right now. Um, but if you look at the clubs these guys are playing for, it is some of the biggest teams in Europe. Christian Pulisic, obviously the star of the show, playing for Chelsea, who just won the Champions League in Europe, one of the biggest competitions in terms of the soccer world, probably besides the World Cup. Um, first American to play in a World Cup in the UEFA Champions League final and the first American to win it. Um, you got guys like Gio Reyna playing for Borussia Dortmund, um, you know, Weston McKinney playing for Juventus alongside Cristiano Ronaldo. So these guys are all playing super huge parts in European football. Um, soccer, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but it's such a, it's such a good time to get in, get into us soccer. If you're going to be involved in it. Um, they just released the World Cup qualifying schedule the other day, but that game against Mexico, I've been watching the U.S. team for about seven years now consistently since that 2014 World Cup, and that might be one of the most exciting games I've ever watched. There was, We went down within 90 seconds. I think it was like 63 seconds. Mexico was up one, one rip, and to, to have a team of Mexico in their prime, the average age is like 28 years old, the average age of the U.S., uh, the U S team was 24 and to come back in that game twice from one goal down. Um, they thought they were going to be two goals down, but they call it offside. Then they get the goal to tie it up. Mexico, I think scored in the 81st or 82nd minute. So you're like, okay, it's two, one Mexico is going to win the game. And within two minutes, it's tied up. It just Weston McKinney scoring a beautiful header off the corner. And then to go into extra time to have the fight, uh, Pulisic wins a penalty and he just buries it. Not even the best goalkeeper in the world is going to save it where he put it up in the cobwebs. And then our goaltender, Ethan Horvath, who came in for an injured Zach Steffen, saves a penalty in the 123rd minute of the game to seal the win in the Nations League final. It was absolutely phenomenal game from a young U.S. team to show that much poise. And all three of the goals came from probably the three poster boys, Gio Reyna, Weston McKinney, and Christian Pulisic, that is a huge sign for the future of what this team can do. I'm not saying that they're going to be any World Cup contenders or any anything like that, because there's a lot of good soccer playing countries out there. But the U.S. has only made the quarterfinals one time in, in uh, World Cup history, or at least recent history, when the tournament's kind of evolved into what it is now. I think this team has a real chance to do that, or maybe even, maybe even make it to a semifinal one day if they can perform to the highest level. Yeah. And, you know, you are somebody who, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, has been critical of U.S. soccer in the last few in the recent history, um, especially after 2018. Um, and just kind of, I guess, what has kind of been the difference? What is, you know, you said the young players, but what has been the difference kind of from the management perspective of kind of the national team? What has been their approach? Well, I think they're, they're a little bit more keen nowadays to let players play overseas. And I think that's kind of a big thing. When you look at what Bruce Arena wanted to do when he retook the team uh, from Jurgen Klinsmann back in 2016, I think 2017, um, they wanted a lot of players to play domestically so that it would be easier to get them together and train with the U.S. national team. Because obviously, if you got players playing in Italy, Germany, you know, France, it's harder to get them back to the U.S. to train. Um, but I do think the competition level across, you know, overseas is way too valuable. You can't have your best players playing in the MLS where, you know, the league's getting better, but it's still, if they're the best player in that league and they score goals easily, 
it's not really going to be too challenging and they're going to kind of get complacent, especially if they're a veteran and they're already, they've been there, done that. So these young guys that are hungry for success, hungry for trophies playing in Europe um, and they're actually getting minutes, you know, that's a big thing. You have to, if you're at a team, if you're at a, in a situation where you're not getting playing time, you got to get out of there. You got to go. Maybe you take a step down. Cause there was, there was a little bit of uh, stress on Pulisic because after Frank Lampard got uh, sacked at Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel took over. Uh, Pulisic wasn't necessarily getting the minutes that he had been under Lampard. And so everybody's like, ooh, should he move from Chelsea? Should he move from Chelsea? And then towards the end of the season, uh, he started picking it up and he really performed well. So I do think he's still got a future at Chelsea. Um, but McKinney's getting plenty of minutes at Juventus. And, and guys like Mark McKenzie playing in the championship just got promoted up into – or no, that's Daryl DK. Um, but there's so many young players. It's such a – fun time all the speculation all these players playing in in europe you know there's still the veterans around um but they've got so many young players it's it's going to be so fun to look forward to the future of this team i think for the next you know and it's a growing sport in the u.s and so i don't think they talk about golden generations uh the euros are going on right now belgium is at the end of their golden generation where they have all these superstar players and it's like if you're going to win a tournament it's got to be now um, but I think the U S is going to continue growing. And I think we're only going to, going to improve and get better because every year, I feel like they're talking about more and more players that are coming up and, you know, it used to just be Pulisic and now, Oh, here's this, you know, Weston McKinney guy. But now there's like 10, 15 players that everybody's talking about every week. So the future is bright with this team and I'm really excited to see what they can do. All right. Any other, uh, any other soccer takes you want to get out there? Um, no, I don't think so too much. Uh, Minnesota United picks back up their terrible start to the season. Hopefully they can turn that around. Uh, they believe, I believe they start Saturday. Uh, there's been a big international break with the whole Euro tournament going on, but that kicks away Saturday against Dallas. But other than that, I think we're uh, set on soccer. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, kind of what you're describing, it's kind of almost like a reverse when you think of different sports in terms of like uh, easy one is like basketball where like you have a, you know, uh, with the NBA or with, uh, you know, kind of um, the internet, international players will go, basically it's kind of the, the inverse where uh, the U.S. team is just so dominant and all these players uh, come over, come over. And I, I guess that would be my best parallel. I have a harder time explaining this than I thought, but it, it's almost kind of the reverse of. Yeah. You know, so that for where- the NBA, um, the best league in the world is in the U.S. So the best players want to come. The Luka Doncic doesn't want to play in his native country because that's not a great competition level for him. He wants to come to the NBA, play here, um, and get the best competition in the world. But that's not how it works in soccer because the U.S. is so far behind the rest of the world. We've had to try to play catch up, and it's just not worked out for us so far. But uh, it's, it's picking up the MLS is, is definitely an improving league, even from five years ago when I started watching MLS soccer. Um, but it's still got a ways to go. Scarves up baby scarves up. All right. Uh, go loons. Uh, maybe they'll win. Maybe we'll see. Maybe. Uh, still haven't recovered from that heartbreaker to Seattle. Oh, the loons have officially entered Minnesota sports. Welcome to Minnesota sports. That's the way you got to do it. If you're going to do it too, don't just lose officially in the club have a two goal lead with 15 minutes to go and losing regulation. That's the way to do it. All right. Uh, moving on now to uh, we're going to speaking of, uh, we're talking about young players, uh, exciting young players. The NBA rookie of the year was announced yesterday and LaMelo ball took home the hardware uh, to the surprise of no one really um, over Anthony Edwards and just kind of, uh, you know, obviously the Wolves fan in me is going to say that Edwards was robbed, that Edwards, you know, forget about uh, just being a Wolves fan. Edwards just was a flashier player, was healthier, um, all that kind of stuff. Now, he was on a more losing team, but he also played in the West. So, um, I don't know. Just what's your take on the rookie of the year? Um, Like you said, I don't think this one was – Anthony Edwards had – pretty poor start I don't watch too much NBA so I'm not a huge expert on all this but I'm from what I understand Anthony Edwards had a pretty poor start to his career a sloppy shooting and he really picked it up towards the end of the year and that's kind of what got him the momentum towards the award especially when LaMelo got hurt I think if LaMelo hadn't come back from injury maybe this would have been Ant's Ant's award to win 
Um, but he came back, he played like the last 10 games of the season for the Hornets. And he was, he was a really good player. I don't think this was, if they both had fully healthy seasons, I don't think this would have been as close of a race as it was, you know, now Minnesota's over two on, on rookies of the year this season. Um, hopefully if Kaprizov doesn't win it, I mean, Kaprizov should, you know, that's, that's kind of the unbiased thing in me. Um, I think, especially when you look at how good Dallas was, because Stevenson seems to be the only other contender for that. He had a good year, but Kaprizov lifted the wild to another level, but we've already kind of tucked on the wild. Um, but I do think it kind of got a little bit snubbed, but I think if he would have been a little bit more consistent for a little bit longer this year, he would have had, given himself a better chance. But guess what? Just because he didn't win rookie of the year doesn't mean he's not going to have a prosperous NBA career in front of him. Uh, I do think that this is kind of the time that the Wolves have to do something. Um, if they can't make something work with the core players that they have now, I'm not saying you got to be contender. I'm just saying if you can't turn these guys into a team that makes the playoffs three out of the next four years, then maybe maybe we should move the team to Seattle because I don't know that it's going to get any better than that. Now, 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 uh, A-Rod and Mark Lore, the two guys trying to own it, they say they're not going to move it. They They promised. You know, and Norm Green also wasn't going to move the team to Dallas either. So, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that could never happen. That'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. But Yeah, I mean, I know that A-Rod and Mark Lore have just came out and said that they're not going to move the team. But what are you supposed to say in that situation? Exactly. You Like A-Rod commented it on a random Wolves pages Instagram. Like that's not in a court of law. Like if the Wolves were going to move and somebody tried to sue to stop it, that's not going to hold like unless there's anything in writing, which Glenn Taylor never actually put in. So all those people who are saying, well, Glenn Taylor is going to put it in writing. Glenn Taylor also looked Andrew Wiggins in the eyes and, or he told everyone he looked Andrew Wiggins in the eyes and he knew Andrew was going to prove that max contract. So, you know, I call me a skeptic. I don't think Glenn Taylor is a good owner. So, you know, but uh, it's very unfortunate for the state of Minnesota because the state of Minnesota is desperate for the Timberwolves to be good. You could see it in that year with Jimmy Butler. They like when they were good, that playoff game, that arena, that atmosphere was really good. The state of Minnesota is such an underrated basketball state. We have constant top 10 players coming out. Like in the last, you know, since Tyus Jones, we've had five, I think top 10 players now uh, in terms of high school recruits, we've got constant four stars. We've got five stars. Um, And I think it hurts the Gophers that the Timberwolves aren't better because I think that if the Timberwolves were better, the the basketball culture would grow even more and maybe the Gophers would get a little bit more investment into them. I think it's kind of a little trickle down. Um, I do this, this, this state wants good basketball to cheer for. It really does. I I think it does. And, you know, (laughs) I'm hoping that the Timberwolves can give it to them because you know, you see, I, I follow this Twitter page and they have pretty good, you know, they talk pretty good and they've got followers and, and that's with the Wolves being pretty God awful. So I can't imagine how, how big Timberwolf Twitter would be if this team was actually a contender or even just, you know, somebody like Portland who thinks they can contend, but they never really can. Even if that was us, man, it would be even more exciting than this. Just not being a dumpster fire. I mean, just honestly, like just the way the organization is run top to bottom, which is maybe the only positive out of Glenn Taylor selling the team is that he was the reason that for a lot of this dysfunction, let's be honest. Cause when you have decades of dysfunction, that was only kind of covered up by the KG era, which even still had dysfunction in it. And you soured the relationship with Kevin Garnett so much that you still haven't retired his number. What are you doing? I mean, if a rod and Mark Lore came in right away and retired Garnett's number immediately, I think that heals a lot of wounds, but I still think that this organization was just so dysfunctional. Even the sale is like, there is now one of the minority owners is uh, putting a lawsuit on Taylor um, and all this kind of stuff. And it's pretty complicated, but um, just the fact of that, the wolves have a potential, a guy who almost won rookie of the year. If they somehow keep the lottery pick, they get basically either Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs um, and how good that team would be. Um, they're tied to a couple different players for trades. I mean, just, we could be talking about all of this, but instead we're talking about the terrible culture of the wolves. So that's just kind of an indictment on them. And the reason why, um, they are in the position they are where we're like, could they move them? Because if they move them, the NBA world wouldn't care at all. So I don't know. 
But anyway, moving on from the NBA, we're going to uh, move on to the Vikings who have started their mini camp. Uh, Daniil Hunter came back. That was the big news of the week. Um, it's been really good to have him back um, because it was basically the only big storyline or potential controversy that was hovering over the Vikings was what are they going to do with Daniil Hunter? And is he going to come to training camp? Is he not? The Vikings basically pushed all of his money uh, up front and he came in and it was kind of a first step to the Vikings saying like, we'll give you some of your, we'll give you some extra money now come to mini camp say you're going to come to training camp and come August or, you know, we'll over the summer, we'll try and work out a long-term deal. Yeah. It's huge having Daniil Hunter back, you know, like we, we talked about, you know, a couple of days ago. Um, it's, it's huge to have such a hopefully healthy defense this year. And the defensive line is just completely no look this year compared to what it was last year. Um, and it's not necessarily new look because some of the guys are, are back. Daniel Hunter's back healthy. A couple of these guys we got in now, uh, Michael Pierce, um, having him back is going to be huge this year. So it's very exciting uh, to have them. And like you said, it was kind of the only storyline to touch on other than a couple of these veteran signings at DB, I think our average age for defensive back is what, 53 this year? Um, Probably. I mean, I don't a lot know. of veterans back there, but uh, I, I think this team really did not want to have the same thing happen again. They, they leaned on, um the rookies last year they thought they could get through with a lot of young guys on defense and it didn't turn out well so they are hopefully not overcorrecting the ship here and getting too many veteran guys and not enough young players but uh there's still be guys around cam dancer will still be there uh the jeff gladney situation is ever changing from what i understand we'll see how that turns out um but i'm not going to bank on him being on the roster come the regular season uh, if he is I guess somehow if that works itself out sure but um, we'll see but this defense should be a lot better and I think that can help if the offense can stay about the same that it was which is actually a pretty good offense it just couldn't keep up because the defense was that bad so if the defense can improve and the offense can stay explosive I think this team is going to be a contender in the NFC North for sure especially if Rodgers doesn't play yeah, and especially if Rodgers doesn't play, they should be immediate favorites to win the division because either your play, your biggest, I mean, Detroit's a non-threat, um, granted a miracle, but uh, uh, Chicago is your other biggest threat, and they're either going to start a rookie quarterback or Andy Dalton. And now, granted, Andy Dalton beat the Vikings last year, and so is Mitch Trubisky, so Vikings fans can't really uh, have too much ground, but in the sense of... There's just that kind of, uh, you know, there's just uncertainty there. Um, and uh, I believe Matt Nagy told Chris Collinsworth a couple days ago that there isn't, he sees no situation that Andy Dalton is the week one starter, which I'm like, why do you pin yourself into a corner like that? Like, I mean, I, I don't know why about Dalton. Yeah. He said he expect Dalton is the starter. So when the bears tweeted QB one uh, with a picture of Andy Dalton, they were not messing around, I guess. He yeah. said there is no situation he sees field starting week one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you bring that up already. That might be a thing you bring up in, in like August. Uh, it's just maybe, maybe he's pulling the smoke still, but I don't know. It's just to go up publicly and do that though. Like Chris Collinsworth is like the national media guy. Mm -hmm. So that's, I, I don't know. Yeah. But I've never accused Matt Nagy of being a good coach. So, uh, Anyway, but um, I mean, when you look at the Vikings, uh, Daniil Hunter coming back brings them a pass rush, which they had none of last year. Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce are run stuffers. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson, of course, is going to play three technique. Uh, Michael Pierce is going to be the new Linval Joseph because he was signed last year, but didn't play because of COVID. Um, so he's going to be that Linval Joseph run stuffer. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson, also a run stuffer. Kamara goes for six TDs against you in a game. And Mike Zimmer is going to sign every defensive lineman he can. And um, you, those guys fill up the middle. That's going to be a lot of stuff to move around. Daniil Hunter coming back off the edge is huge because we really don't know who's going to be opposite Daniil Hunter. I mean, Steven Weatherly is a nice player, but I don't think he's a starter. He's more of a role situational guy. Um, Sheldon Richardson, a guy who they brought back on like a $4 million deal, super cheap. 
um, to bring him back. Um, he can play off the edge a little bit. He might be more of like Zimmer mentioned, like a situational pass rusher, like come in on third downs and rush from up the middle, which he did a pretty good job of um, when he was with the Vikings in 2018. Um, the Vikings tried to keep him after 2018, but was just his number was too high. Um, so I honestly, I, I think the pass rush is going to be huge for this team. Takes the pressure off the secondary, like you were saying. Um, a lot of young guys still, you know, and the guys like Patrick Peterson, Brashad Breland, veterans, but, you know, still just taking less time off of them to cover is huge. And, you know, like you were saying, a top 10 offense, um, last year, which was in hit, which was kind of crippled by the fact that they were always starting in terrible field position. And it was also because of the special teams. The special teams was God awful last year. And people just will think of the field goal kicks with Dan Bailey, but the punt return game was awful. Um, they were fumbling snaps. Um, Chris Boyd was just terrible in the punt coverage. Um, I mean, just, I think it was Chris Boyd, but basically every, every way that you could have messed up special teams they did last year. So there there's no way they can be worse. The defense, there's no way they can be worse. And if the offense just continues to stay at the level they're at this, this has to be a team that wins 10, 11 plus games. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, the, the pass rushing is the biggest thing for, for me. It's, it's exactly like we talked about with hockey and the face-offs, the face-offs are linked to so many other areas and that's why you struggle in those areas and the, the, the pass rushing is linked to other areas as well. When you don't have a good pass rush, the quarterback can just sit back there and the, the corners can't cover wide receivers for six, seven seconds sometimes. It's just it, – it's impossible. So getting a pass rush is going to be huge. Um, like you said, we don't know who's going to be playing opposite him. Uh, we, we'll have to figure that out kind of as the season goes along. I'm sure the preseason will be a little bit of a kind of a – uh, tryouts again, but um, it'll be interesting to follow going forward. Uh, free agency is pretty much done and dusted at this point. Um, so we'll see. Uh, and again, the offensive line has got to be a big thing too. Uh, hopefully these two so-called very good offensive line draft picks, Christian Derrissaw and what is it, Ed Davis? Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis. Ed Davis, I think, is a basketball player. Uh, but Wyatt Davis, hopefully, if these guys can both turn into pretty good players that work out, we should have a decent offensive line this year or, you know, better than it has been. So that's kind of been the one thing that's been the glaring weakness on the offensive side of the ball. We've got wide receivers. we got a couple good tight ends. we got a running back, and we've got a quarterback that, we think can play well if he was a little bit more protected. So uh, the offense should be fine. We'll see how the defense does. Hopefully they're not too veteran, but I am really excited. Like you said, I think at its ceiling, 11 wins is not too much to ask for this Vikings team this year. I think that that's the expectation from ownership, honestly. Um, and I mean, ownership, uh, there was very strong reports that if Zimmer didn't win that playoff game in New Orleans a couple of years ago, he would have probably been fired and they probably would have promoted Stefanski to head coach. I mean, it, uh, like Zimmer, his time is if he doesn't, you know, prove a really good winning season this year, it could be over. I mean, he they can't pull a Chicago Bears where they go like eight and seven or they went like seven and nine, eight. They went eight and eight and they made the playoffs, and then they got bounced right away by New Orleans. There is no way that Zimmer would still have his job if that's how the season went out. They have to win double-digit games. I mean, winning the division, I think, especially if Rodgers doesn't play, but even if Rodgers doesn't. I mean, the Vikings were still able to split the season series against the Packers last year anyways. Um, you know, so I, the Vikings, I think if you look at it, the Vikings actually had a 4-2 and two record in the division last year. So, you know, this year, um, I think – there still should be an expectation that the Vikings can compete. Now Rogers not being there makes it just unbelievably easy, but there you can still win the division with Aaron Rodgers in green Bay. And this, especially with the defense you're putting together, um, you know, like you said, the biggest question mark, I think from this team, I think going into the season is how there's two things on the defensive side of the ball. It's how can these veterans mesh together and what can Zimmer kind of do to get the most out of them and all that kind of stuff. But on the offensive side of the ball, um, the biggest question I think is the offensive line. And 
every season. We're talking about that. Now, the Vikings have put a lot of draft capital in the offensive line. Christian Darrisaw is a first-round pick at left tackle. Uh, Ezra Cleveland at left guard is a second-round pick. Garrett Bradbury is a first-round pick. Wyatt Davis is a third-round pick that had a second-round value. Um, and Brian O'Neill is a second-round pick, who will probably get an extension sometime this summer. Um, I mean, they've put a lot of draft capital into it. Um, and But the thing is, is it's a gamble to assume that you are going to have two uh, starters be rookies and that both of them are going to do very well. And the problem is, is if let's say Wyatt Davis doesn't do very well, um, who do you have behind him? Dakota Dozier. That is who is um, behind him. Mason Cole. Yeah, ex- exactly. And Mason Cole kind of feels like the new um, Brett Jones and kind of like the can play center can play guard kind of that mop up duty. There's really nobody you have behind them that can, that can fill that gap. So you're really banking on two rookies coming in on the offensive line. Um, I'm confident Christian Darisau will at least be passable. Granted Riley reef for all the, for all the grief Vikings fans have given him had, it was a pretty solid tackle. He wasn't great, but he was passable. He was above average. And I think just having an above, you can see the difference between having an above average left tackle and TJ Clemmings and how much that can just sink your offense. So I think, the, the biggest question on the offensive side of the ball has to be the offensive line. And can two rookies really take this offensive line forward? Cause Brian O'Neill is good. We know that um, Bradbury's had a bit of a struggle, but he's still been able, you know, I mean, centers usually take a big jump in year three. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and Ezra Cleveland is playing a position he's never played before in left guard. And now you're trusting two rookies. I mean, it's something where there's a lot of potential there, but are, you know, will it work out isn't a for sure thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that because like you said, there's a lot of unknowns about it. And I think that a guy like Bradbury, I I think he can probably take a step up this year, like you said, but I think he would benefit if there was a little bit more help around him and not necessarily, you know, it's not like they're locking arms and blocking together all the time, but you know, if you've got four good offensive linemen, the one doesn't look as bad as if you have one good offensive lineman and four that can't play. So hopefully one of these two rookies can turn out well. And hopefully Brian O'Neill, especially like you said, can adjust to a new position uh, and, and lock the, or Ezra Cleveland, sorry, um, can lock into a new position and uh, learn that pretty well. If we can have at least three of these guys that are, perform it at a good level and the other two can like you said be passable then i think we'll, we'll be set to go exactly and the biggest thing is because of kirk cousins if you can just give kirk cousins even just a little bit better protection i think that that helps the offense uh, a lot because we know dalvin cook uh what he can do um i think this vikings offensive line isn't bad enough and the vikings have even had you know last year's wasn't that great um, so Delvin cook can still do a lot with that. As long as it's kind of passable, as long as, you know, it's not a complete dumpster fire, Delvin cook can at least work his magic and do something there. But, um, you know, I, I just think with this offense, I mean, now statistically they were top 10. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, obviously, um, you know, I don't know. It's kind of that statistically they're top 10 and they were a good offense last year but they're going to still need to kind of take a little bit of a step forward if they really want to be in that Super Bowl contention. And that step forward is going to need to come from Kirk having a solid year, which I think their pieces are in place for him to do that. Dalvin Cook staying healthy and Justin Jefferson avoiding a sophomore slump. Yeah, I think that if, if, uh, if Kirk has another decent season and, you know, Kirk's going to have statistically good seasons and, that's what everybody always accuses him of uh, is being kind of a stat sheet stuffer, like you said. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, the offensive numbers are a little bit bulked up, I think, because we were behind in a lot of games. But at the same time, we do have a good offense. We have pieces all around the field, Thielen, Jefferson, um, Delvin Cook. So those three especially are going to help the offense. And if Kirk Cousins can get a little bit of time, and here's the problem with Cousins is that, a lot of people think, well, your offensive line's not good. So you got to be able to do something. We knew Cousins couldn't do that and, and really make plays with his legs when we signed him. And we still failed to address the offensive line. 
I don't think that's on Cousins. I think that's on the management. I mean, we've been looking for long for offensive linemen long before Cousins got here. But at the same time, not every quarterback is going to be the same Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, you know, even Mahomes, even a guy like Mahomes that can get out of the pocket and move. Even when the Vikings had success in 2017, a lot of that was Case Keenum's ability to scramble. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we probably do need to maybe in the future, this Kellen Mond guy can be the guy, but um, that'll be interesting to see as well. Cause I think every interception you see thrown this year, every fumble that happens, you're going to see Twitter, especially Kellen Mond, Kellen Mond time. You know, what happens if Kirk Cousins had a first half like he did against Atlanta last year, people were like, you need to bench Kirk Cousins. It's like for who Sean Mannion, Sean Mannion, you know? So now that's gone. I still think right now, Jake Browning has been basically with the second team, but that's kind of the Zimmer way is just with rookies. You don't really throw them into the fire. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I don't think there's much of a chance of anybody touching the field other than Cousins this year, unless it's so bad that it's like, okay, if we can't do it with this roster, then we're just going to have to cut, just get Cousins out of there and start working with the new guys. But I don't see that happening. Um, So I I don't think there's a chance that we see that. Um, But I guess that'll be something, that'll be something to follow if, if the season starts going sour, but I think the offense can take a step forward. Jefferson's going to be in his second year. That'll be good for him and bad for him. You know, the corners have more tape on him, but at the same time, he's going to take his game hopefully to another level. So it it will be interesting to see. And now this kind of frees up having two really good wide receivers again, just same as Diggs and Thielen. You got a game plan for two guys on the outside. Um, And, you know, even if Jefferson lines up in the slot, you know, it's good. It's, I think it's tougher. The more, the more offensive weapons you have, the more you got a game plan as a defense. And I think it's only going to help us. Yeah. And, and another thing, and the last kind of thing I'm worried about from an offensive standpoint, I've been saying this for a little bit, but um, you know, just having a third wide receiver, I think would help a lot because Thielen is not getting any younger. Um, I mean, eventually he might have to kind of go into that Larry Fitzgerald role where you're kind of more in the slot. You're doing a lot of the short game um, and you have Jefferson do kind of the deep end, but just even getting a third wide receiver. Cause I mean, the problem is, is, I mean, Chad Beebe, uh, BC Johnson, uh, you drafted a guy in the fifth round that Smith Marset. He hasn't been really kind of standing out. I've I mean, heard good things about Amir Smith Marset so far. And, you know, I don't know what I trust that I see online because a lot of it might be, you know, Oh, this Vikings fan page thinks that this guy's going to be a good player. I'm shocked, you know, but I, I have heard some rumblings that maybe he could be this guy, but we haven't seen even an ounce of anything other than mini camps yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on that. So. You know, he was a fifth round pick. You know, who else was a fifth round pick? Stefan Diggs. Oh, uh, so really? Uh, you know, so Kellen Mond was drafted in the third round. You know, who else was drafted in the third round. Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. Not, not saying anything. Um, I was about to say Kirk Cousins, but Kirk was a fourth rounder, I think. Um, but I think he, yeah, he's a, I think he was fourth round. But still, uh, you know, so it's kind of that season where everybody kind of picks a player. Um, like I've heard KJ Osborne has been doing really well. Zimmer said he was impressed with him. But again, it's the problem is, is they're in shorts and mm-hmm. jerseys and they, they have like these weird rugby helmets on um, without face masks. So. I mean, we'll see, where really... it, we'll see where it ends up. And, you know, what, what does KJ Osborne impressing you mean? Does that mean that you think he could be a guy like DeAndre Hopkins? Or does that mean that he's a little bit better than he was last year? Exactly. Yeah. Which he wasn't very good last year. So, you know, I, again, well, you got to put the shoulder pads on. You got to actually really hit to understand that. And we're really not going to see that until August, basically, because the first little bit of training camp is still getting everybody kind of ramped up. Um one last thing to end on for the Vikings, they are allowing fans back to training camp this year. Um, all the training camp practices are free, I saw, but they are uh, $10 tickets for when they do their split squad practices against uh, Denver. So that'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, it'll be great to have a bunch of NFL stadiums with fans back in it this year. Watching the NHL playoffs especially has gotten me so hyped up. And even some of these UEFA games in the Euros that have fans at them now, it's so much better to watch sports with fans in the stands, man. So much better. 
yeah, I, I already have tickets for a uh, for a Vikings game this year, so I'm ready to go. So, are any other uh, Vikings takes? I think. Uh, lastly, um, I just think Daniel Hunter is huge for coming back for this team. Um, I mean, it was I think a lot of the a lot of the hype with him was overblown. There were a lot of takes because there were people saying Daniel Hunter needs to hold out. He needs to be making a ton more money. He's criminally underpaid. There's the other side saying Daniel Hunter. What is he asking for a new contract? He's already making 14 million. Um, he had a neck injury. He didn't play all last season. Why should the Vikings all of a sudden give him a 10 million dollar raise? Um, and I think really you kind of need to meet more in the middle on that um, in the sense of you know, Hunter is, you know, Hunter is a guy who wants more money because at the time he signed a deal. And then even like one year into the contract, we all looked around at pass rushers around the league and we're like, that Daniel Hunter contract is a steal. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings um, have a history of Adam Thielen outperformed his old contract. The Vikings gave him a new one. They kind of set the precedent for doing that. Um, so I think that really um, it, it's going to happen anyways. Um, and I think the Vikings have a real, they've had a really good history of not having players hold out. Dalvin cook really didn't hold out. He got his contract taken care of. There was no controversy. Um, same thing. When you look at players like Diggs. when you look at uh, Daniel Hunter, the first time um, the Vikings just have a tendency of, if they want you to be on their roster, they take care of you. So I think the really all the, all the hype that the Vikings need to trade him, the Vikings need to cut him. They just need to sit back and let him, you know, watch him squirm. Essentially. I think that was all overblown. I think, I knew right away that essentially the Vikings were just going to take care of it over the summer and it wasn't going to be an issue, but it was the only really media story that um, the national media really didn't jump on it. It was more of a local thing, but I think it was one that everybody jumped to. And I think it was just one of those ones where everybody overreacted to because the, what happened this week and what's going to happen over the summer or next year, I think is how it was always going to go down. Yeah, I think it was just kind of a, a media lull, and they didn't have too much to talk about in terms of all oh, the wild season ended, the Timberwolves season ended, the Twins are sucking. So, hey, this is a big news story, and it is big. It's big to have him back, but I do think people overreacted quite a bit to the news of him possibly having a holdout. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think basically the way that the contract works is it uh, – it pushed a lot of the money up front and avoided the 2023 year. So he's under contract for this year and the next year. Um, So the Vikings could push extension talks another year and maybe just say, look, we're going to give you some money up for, we're going to give you a raise. um, And then we're going to let you play this season. And if you play really well, we'll pay you. Um, I think maybe, I mean, that's honestly a good compromise, I think for Daniel Hunter, because you know, the thing that the Vikings could always say is, well, you just had a neck injury. You missed all last season. A neck injury is a big deal. Um, so kind of looking at that, um, you know, I think it was, I think basically it played out about as smart as it can because of you, the Vikings now turning that, uh, turning basically some of that money into a signing bonus meant that the Vikings have, the Vikings have like $10 million in salary cap space. So realistically they still could sign a wider C another wide receiver. They could bring in DD Westbrook. Uh, who played with Jacksonville. They could bring in a pass rusher. They could bring in Melvin Ingram. They could bring in um, Geno Atkins. They could don't, bring in. Don't bring in Melvin Ingram. <laughs> He's going to ask for ways. That's why uh, the, hey, I'm a Charger fan, man. Uh, I didn't want him back. He's going to ask for way too much money and he's going to be hurt nine, maybe 10 games a year. Exactly. So, but the point is you have that flexibility where you can get a guy like the pandemic has obviously shaken away. Like teams approach the salary cap, the salary cap went down. Um, but the Vikings have cap space to be able to make some moves. Heck, even if they want to do like a unique Ngakwe thing where they make a trade at the end of training camp, they have the cap space to do it where before they did. And then they had to basically ruin their relationship with Riley reef to try and make it work. So the Vikings have cap space. Also the league cap is expected to go up like 20, 25 million with the new TV deal they just signed. So, I mean, NF, the Viking, I know the cousins contract gets a lot of hate, and, you know, rightfully so, he'll be making $45 million next season. That's that's a lot for a guy not named Rodgers, Mahomes, um, all that kind of thing. But the Vikings are finding a way to kind of do the best job that they can. So I think, you know, Rick Spielman, Rob Brzezinski, they've won the offseason MVP. Yeah, they've done a pretty good job, I think, all things considered. I don't know that there was a ton of optimism other than the fact that we knew that we had a lot of defensive injuries last year. I don't think there was a ton of optimism heading into this season, but I think they've done a pretty, pretty good job of it. 
And especially with the thought in the back of our minds that Rodgers might not be there to start the season, I think Vikings fans are pretty excited this year. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, any other Vikings takes we need to get out there for uh, today? Don't think so. All right, we're going to wrap this up with everybody's favorite disappointment, the Minnesota Twins. Uh, They won last night, but they got absolutely pounded the night before, losing like 13 to nothing to Seattle. Um, So they lost the series in Seattle. Um, I don't know if they have an off day today or if they are. They have an off day today. They're going down to Texas, um, who is also doing terrible. So maybe they could get some wins. But uh, I think the biggest thing, um, there's a couple different takeaways you can take away from the season so far. One, the Twins are actually hitting home runs. They are second in the league. Uh, in home runs, your home runner leader is a 41 year old um, in Nelson Cruz, who's hit 13, 13 or 14. That's been pretty good on his part for this far into the season ups his trade value um, in a couple months. Um, but they're second in the league in home runs. So for all the, all the negativity that's come around the twins and second is Miguel Sano, who I've ripped and who have a lot of players have ripped. Um, but Miguel Sano is also second on the team in home runs with like 13. Um, so this team is still, for lack of a better term, they still are the Bomba squad. The problem has come in their pitching. Um, they can't, their bullpen is a mess. Their starting rotation has taken a severe step back. And I think if you want to pin, I know Rocco has gotten a lot of blame and some of it right, some of it not really. Um, a lot of it's the bullpen. Um, and running a bullpen is like clock management for an NFL coach. No fan base thinks their coach is good at clock management um, or like uh, rotations in the NBA or the NHL. No fan base thinks their coach is good at giving out minutes and rotations, but it's been bad. Um, I think, you know, a lot of it, um, a lot of it's just kind of newer baseball, but uh, um, you know, I think a lot of it has uh because a lot of it comes from the front office. Um, a lot of manage managers aren't really doing things solo anymore. That's just not how baseball works. Um, it's done a lot with the front offices. So Falvey and Levine, I think really are the ones, cause they're the one that put this roster together. They're the ones that brought in Schumacher. Who's been terrible. They're the ones that brought in Colome, Robles, um, Simmons, all guys who have been terrible this season. So if you're going to blame anybody, you need to blame the front office for this season. Yeah, I think I think Rocco's gotten some some very harsh, you know, and and a lot of managers or coaches they'll get that because people don't know who else to blame. Um, but I do think that you got to look towards the front office. This the pitching staff it's kind of feels like the offensive line in a way for the Vikings. Every once and then you get a couple decent players in there, uh, a couple decent pitchers, but. Overall, I think for the most part of the year, the or most part of the last you know six years, the bullpen has been a pretty big issue for the t- uh, the Twins, and we have not been able to figure it out too much. No, and and the problem is is there's just really kind of where do you turn at this point with the rotation? Now, they got a couple guys that Bailey Ober uh, pitched four plus innings, did pretty good, uh, shut out, only gave up one hit. Um, he's had a couple good starts so far. Um, Baldelli hasn't really let him go, um, past like 89, 90 pitches, but, um, I mean, he's, he has potential. Dobnek has had a terrible year, but I, I partially blame that on the twins, putting him in the bullpen right away. Um, kind of ruining his confidence from that standpoint, um, kind of just messing up how he prepares and then sending him down to triple a to become a starter again. And then just, I think this whole year has been a wash for him. And I think the twins, how the twins front office has approached that hasn't been good for him. Um, I think honestly, I just, the twins are head scratching kind of making head scratching moves. I think just with the way that they've handled this bullpen. Now they lost a lot of, they lost Rogers may um, or then, excuse me. They lost uh, Sergio Romo. They lost Mm -hmm. uh, Trevor may, they lost Matt Whistler. They lost a, a lot of key bullpen pieces. And the new guys that they've kind of had in, Duffy hasn't had a great year. Rodgers has been fine, but nothing, you know, above and away. Like, oh my gosh, he's been dominant. Um, Alcala still is yet to kind of take that step forward. He has potential, but hasn't yet. So, and then you brought in Robles and Colome to try and plug that hole that was left by your uh, free agents. And neither of them have been able to do anything. So, 
I think the twins have just kind of gotten, we accuse the Vikings of this. They get too cute. They kind of buy into their own press. They think that they can, you know, turn something into nothing or nothing into something. Um, and they kind of tried to do that with pitching. They tried to make all these sneaky moves and, you know, in 2019 and 2020, it looked great. And in 2021, it's blown up in their faces. Um, just like it did in 2018. Hey man, I, I, I know what the twins are going through. I did the same thing with my fantasy football roster this year, finished four and four and nine. Cause I picked a bunch of, a bunch of players that I was like, you know, what? he had a sneaky season last year. Maybe I should grab him. See, none of them turned out. So if, but on a real note, though, yes, I do think you're right. They're trying to be too cute. They see a guy that they're like, hey, he didn't work out in this area. But we definitely think that we, the failures at getting bullpen players to work out, we think we're going to be the where they turn it around. And the problem is, is they had a really good bullpen in 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. They were like really good, which is why everybody was like, oh, well, I think they figured out the crack, the code, like they kind of know what they're doing. And that's not to say that they don't. I still think Falvey and Levine are a smart front office, but I think you kind of see the flaws, the, the kinks in their armor, whatever word you want to use, um, just hasn't gone their way uh, this year. It feels like 2018. And at some point they're good. I mean, what are they doing with Byron Buxton? He's, he's been gone. Like he's, uh, he's went to Seattle with the team and was expected to be activated on Monday. He's played, he hasn't been activated yet, and now they're on their way to Texas. They said that he hasn't felt 100% yet. And at this point in Byron Buxton's career, I feel like he's never going to feel 100%. And this is killing Buxton. The Twins at the end of 2018 um, held him back. And I think even in 2019, they held him back um, because of injuries and protecting him. And that frustrated Buxton. He wants to be on the field as much as he gets hurt. He still wants to try and get out there and the twins limiting him at a certain point. You say, okay, they're being conservative, but also it's like, you kind of just have to let him play at a certain point. And when Buxton, there's a reason why the twins haven't been able to work out a contract extension with Buxton yet. And who knows if that they ever will and him and Barrios are the two best players, two of the better players on the twins and it doesn't look like the twins are making any progress towards extending either one. So now you have to ask yourself, do you need to trade them? Yeah, it's frustrating as a twin fan watching Buxton year after year. And you're thinking, oh, maybe he's not going to miss very extended periods of time this season. It just keeps happening. But you don't want to trade him away because you know that as soon as he gets somewhere else, we've watched it before. As soon as they go somewhere else, they are a instantaneously somehow he's healthy. You know, like that's, we've seen it before players have left and become superstars. So we're, we're skeptical about that. Twins fans don't want to say, yes, we should trade him because he's going to end up hurting us in the future. But at the same time, if we hold on to him, is he going to stay healthy and be able to actually help our team? Exactly. And you know, who knows the twins, maybe they tried to lowball him in those early contract offers, but at a certain point, you're going to have to pay both of them 20 plus million a year. And if you decide that you don't want to pay him that much, or you don't, or you can't, or you don't see them as a long-term player, then you got to try and trade them for something. And I think Brios and Buxton are both free agents in 2023. So you have the whole 2022 season of team control, um, which you could theoretically get a higher trade value for them. That's a topic for another day. But um, I think that about does it here for our Minnesota sports. So thank you for joining the podcast, Ian. And uh, any other Minnesota sports takes you want to get out there before we end the podcast? No, I'm hoping that some of these summer teams that we're watching can improve and maybe make it a little bit more interesting to watch over the course of the summer. Loon's season's still early, but they've been disappointing as of, as of so far. And uh, Twins have been the same way. But, and the Lynx, uh, too. They've also been disappointing. So it's, it's not- true. It has not been a great summer for Minnesota sports. Nope. So uh, draft lotteries next Tuesday. So that'll be a big deal for the wolves. Uh, we'll be deal. breaking. We'll be breaking that all down next week uh, here on the Minnesota sports podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota sports podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.